This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. You know, we're taking a break from making new shows for a while while we regroup for the upcoming year. But that doesn't mean that we'll leave you without something cool to listen to. In fact, what we'll be doing is taking a deep dive into over 10 years of alt-Latino archive material to pull out some of our favorite coverage throughout the years. You know, here at Alt Latino, we're very proud of the fact that we have interviewed a number of incredibly important Afro-Latinx artists about their careers and their legacies. And in honor of Black History Month, we've decided to take a look back at two interviews with iconic artists to celebrate their contributions to the music industry and to Latino culture in general. This week, we hear from Puerto Rican rapper Tego Calderon. You know, my former alt-Latino co-host, Jasmine Garst, visited with him from a studio in Santurce, Puerto Rico, and it originally aired back in 2013. And also, we're going to hear this week a 2018 interview with Dominican singer Amara La Negra that I did at a very unusual location at the South by Southwest Festival that year. Okay, up first, we take a listen to our 2013 interview with Puerto Rican rapper Tego Calderon about his musical journey and his favorite songs. Even back in 2013, Tego Calderon was recognized as an OG, a reggaeton pioneer, and Jasmine was very eager to spend some time with him to help us understand the man behind the innovation. And for those of you that don't remember, you're going to hear the voice of Jasmine Garst, who hosted the show from the beginning until she left in 2017. Felix, do you remember a very lonely, sad week in March in which I was I was away in Puerto Rico? Lonely and sad? <laughs> well, I was in Puerto Rico back in March, and I stopped by Tego Calderon's studio in Santurce. He has been on Alt Latino in the past, talking about his own work and his story. But back then, he talked to us a little bit about his interest in celebrating Afro-Puerto Rican culture. So when I was back on the island, I decided to just swing by and talk to him and tape an entire show about this topic. He started off talking about a place in Puerto Rico called Loisa and about the role that Loisa has in Black history on the island. He also talked about the influence his family had on making him so conscious of of his roots. My family uh, always taught me the importance of Loiza, the town next to to where I'm from, that is full of of tradition and and culture. And my father always told me that it it didn't matter that I was from from Rio Grande, not from Loiza, but it was my pops who always told me the, the importance of, of Loisa and, uh, and the Afro music bomba in this case. 
for people who don't know, uh, what is Bomba and what is one Bomba song everyone should start off listening to? Uh, Bomba is um, African beat. When I was in, in Africa, in Sierra Leone, everything comes from there. You know it, but when you're there and you, you experience, you see the rhythms and you see the, how, the dances and you realize that we Africans, we, we really Africans, they, they, they stole our culture, they stole our people from there and, and they brought the music over here and we think it's ours, but it's African music basically and um, it's played with this one drum. Let's listen to Tego Calderón's Ode to Loisa. This is off of his album El Abayarde, which was one of the first reggaeton albums to make it big in the continental U.S. story and his song talk about the historical significance of Luisa, but during the interview, I was fascinated by the fact that he spoke very, very candidly about the black Puerto Rican experience in the past and in the present. And what he said to me is that part of the problem, a significant part of the problem, is lack of education about black history in Puerto Rico in the Puerto Rican school system. Black Puerto Ricans are second-class citizens. Most of the black population don't even realize it because you grow up, they, they, they don't teach you anything in school for you to be proud of, not even about the American culture, um, the black side of the American culture, the, the Martin Luther King or the Malcolm X or people like that that, that you could identify with. And um, they only talk about slavery here, that we should be thankful for not being slave anymore. And uh, I was watching Django, that movie from, what's his name? Jamie Foxx. And in Puerto Rico, they created a lot of house niggas. <laughs> that was they created in the public system. That was a very, very strong statement. Part of Tego's consciousness uh, comes from his father. He says that his father really raised him to to understand his own African heritage in Puerto Rico. He always told me the, the importance of, of being black and I grew up different to, to other kids and I thought um, I, I didn't feel um, 
how fortunate I was. Uh, I thought my father was a little bit crazy because um, we didn't have Santa Claus, we didn't have uh, Thanksgiving, he didn't let me get Atari, and he didn't let me watch Star Wars, uh, all that stuff, and, and I grew up differently to, to everybody. And when I went to Miami, I started listening to hip hop, and uh, there was, at that time, there was Public Enemy, KRS One, with that Afro conscious music. Everything that my father told me made sense because these cool people were saying the same thing that my father always taught me. Felix, you know what's interesting? He said that he feels in Puerto Rico race issues are a lot more subtle, whereas in the U.S. it's it's very in your face and, and you can't really ignore it. It was a reality shock when I got to Miami. And there I realized that who I was and what he was talking about. Because here it's like under the rock. In the States it's in your face. You, you don't belong. You, I don't know which one is worse. In the States I realized that everything he told me, he helped me to, to, to deal with, with the situation in Miami. It was cultural shocked to me. His studio in Santurce in Puerto Rico was wallpapered with Ismael Rivera posters, pictures of Ismael Rivera. You would have thought that Ismael Rivera was, you know, an uncle. And, <laughs> and Tego says that, in fact, Ismael Rivera felt like a family member um, and that his family really was impacted in the 60s uh, with the lyrics and the music that Ismael Rivera did to the point that, yeah, he feels like a part of the family. But he clarified it wasn't always a straightforward message of Black Pride, like like you would hear maybe later on with Public Enemy. A lot of times race was approached through humor. And Tego used the song Negrito Bembon as an example. And Felix, that's a song about Basically, the story that the song tells is a policeman who arrives at the scene of the crime. A black man has been killed. The policeman is also black. And the policeman asks the murderer, why did you kill this man? And the murderer says, because he had big lips. And the policeman covers his own face and says, that's not a good reason. The way they approach uh, black pride uh, in salsa most of the time is like, Trying to be funny about it. Uh, trying to be funny how? For example, there's this song called Negro Bembon. You grow up listening to that and you think it's funny, but it's not. And that's the way Puerto Ricans, black Puerto Ricans, deal with the blackness, getting used to the abuse. You know, I guess there's that whole theory that you make jokes about what makes you uncomfortable. You, you deal with pain by making jokes, right? It might be. It might be, but in this case, it's like you're making music for a white audience. I wanted him to fast forward to the genre he's known for, which is rap and reggaeton. And he summed up your conversation by drawing a very clear historical line between the oral traditions of African slaves and rap. I see it because this is obviously black music. This is Jamaican dancehall, Jamaican dembo, and rhyming, rap been around for slaves, been doing this for years. And this is what we do. 
That was just part of the 2013 interview with Tego Calderon from the alt-Latino episode called Black, Puerto Rican, and Proud. Guest DJ Tego Calderon. It was hosted by alt-Latino former co-host Jasmine Garst. You know, back in 2013, no one had any idea of how big a worldwide phenomena reggaeton would become and how the Latin music landscape would change as a result. And just hearing Deco's words reminds us of reggaeton's roots, which is always so important. Because as they say, you have to know where you came from to know where you're going. Okay, now in the second part of the show, we hear from a 2018 interview with Dominican singer Amara La Negra, where I interviewed the singer about her journey and musical influences at the South by Southwest Festival from that year. I ain't gonna lie, this interview was one of a kind for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is Amara La Negra's boundless energetic spirit, but also because it took place in the private area behind the most popular barbecue restaurant in Austin. I'll explain how that happened after we hear part of a much longer interview. Okay, so I'm going to serve myself another rib and some potato salad. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't have a rib? No. Espérate. Okay, you're going to have a rib too. Claro, because I'm a good friend. (laughs) I really am. I would never let you eat by yourself. That is not friendly. No. This is so good. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Moon. <laughs> Poor Moon. Oh, my God. This is awful. I can't believe this. So, speaking of food, mm-hmm. tell us about what what your food was like when you were growing up in, in Miami. Dominican food. My mom's a chef. So, my mom's always been the one to cook home. Um, a lot of mango, salami, queso frito, a lot of Dominican food. So, not a lot of um, burgers and pizza and stuff like that, but very Latin food. So, someone helped me because, I mean, because of the fact that it's in my DNA, I'm naturally built thick and big. Because even when I was little, I had chunky thighs and a little big butt, and that's just how my body's built. But definitely, I think that the food helped as well. <laughs> Well, that's part of that's part of the experience. Right. It's part of just about all Latino cultures and the experience. Like when, if, you go, if you go to my house, the first thing my mom will say, "Tiene hambre? You hungry?" My mom is always ready to feed somebody. I guess it's part of the the culture. Yeah. You always. I mean, I guess that when you don't have anything else to offer much, the first thing you think of is feeding someone. Like, you know, this is the best thing I can do for you. Are you hungry? Here's some food. Let's go back to the music for a second. Yes. When you talk about, I, I consider those two, like, the North and the South Pole, mm-hmm. Tina Turner and Celia Cruz, in terms of expression. But if you draw a line between them, it's like the it's the connection between the Afro-Caribbean experience and then the African American experience. Mm-hmm. It's like it closes the circle. Those two singers. Um. I find them to be different, but at the same time, I find them to be similar in many ways. For example, the one thing that they definitely had in common, they were two strong, powerful women. Mm-hmm. They were strong. They knew what they wanted. They knew where they were going. And um, and then that's just how I see it. Like, Tina Turner was a strong woman. 
Even though she had her own personal problems because nobody's perfect. So did Cela Cruz. <clears throat> so that's what I definitely do admire. And then them on stage, no matter if one danced more than the other, whatever the case may have been, they just had that it factor. They knew how to entertain. They knew how to give the best out of them. And they were beautiful people on and off camera. Did you have a chance to see either one of them perform live? I had the honor to perform in three occasions for Cera Cruz. Oh my gosh. I was a backup dancer. So I had the honors of sharing stage with her and rehearsing with her. So I definitely know the feeling of that. And um, what Tina Turner know, I've always wanted to meet her, but I haven't had the honor yet. Well, there may be time. There's still time. I'm in, I'm in. I hope that they come soon. Now let's go through, I guess, like your teenage years or your early 20s. Like, which are probably oh God, still in early, your, you're still early, in your early 20s. I'm still in my 20s, really? but that made me feel so old right now. No, 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 sorry, okay. 20s, <laughs> Foot in the mouth. No, a thousand years ago. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. No. I'm not ashamed of my age at all. The, the teenage years then, you know, like, what were, what were you listening to? What was, uh, what were you dancing to? What were your friends listening to? I never really grew up with a lot of friends like, like that. I was very, like, a baloner, and I was always very focused in my music and my career. So what did I listen to? Um, I don't really know because I think that I was stuck in that in that in that stage where you're you don't know if you're um very, more Latina than you are American because I was going obviously born and raised in Miami. My friends are American, my surrounding my my what I'm studying in school, my teachers, but at home it was very Spanish, very Latin. So I was kind of stuck in between listening a little bit of salsa, a little bit of merengue, but still trying to identify myself with a little bit of um, R and B. You know, kind of like um, Usher and stuff like that back in those days. And listening to uh, B2K, listening to Cisco, listening to all these, you know, American artists. So I was kind of stuck in between back when the Spice Girls were hot and Britney Spears. And I was kind of still trying to find myself. So I listened to a little bit of everything. I think that's the beautiful thing about music, that music is universal. You know, it really doesn't have, even if you don't understand it, there's a vibe. There's a wave. All you have to know is it. All you have to know is that it feels good. My God. What happened? What is that? No, they, they just brought bread. But I got high for you in a second, too. So. As if I don't feel guilty enough, he brought some bread and some white bread. Not even wheat bread. Life is kind of good right now at the moment. And I promised that I wasn't going to eat any meat and look at me now. I will take full responsibility for that. I know, and it's so good. Thank you. Now let's move forward. Let's talk about now the TV show, Love and Hip Hop in Miami on VH1, by the way. Well, Love and Hip Hop Miami was an amazing experience. I loved it so much. I got to meet amazing people, and I got to meet not so many nice people as well. Um, my single Insecure drops today, which I'm really excited about. And today is also the the um, last episode, the second part of the reunion of Love and Hip Hop Miami. So eventually we will start recording again for the season two. The show was really good, you know. I, I'm, I'm grateful to know that I, I have a new fan base. I was able to promote my music, who I am as a person, showcase my, my mom as well, because my mom is on the show, and um, just put a little bit of myself out there. Like, I didn't want to put any limits to it. I wanted to be as real as possible, and I, and I wanted to show, like, for example, I showed that my mom's an immigrant, you know, because I know all the struggles that a lot of immigrants go in the United States. I showed that my mom works in the kitchen, like, I, don't, I really don't live this luxurious, fake life that people want to see. 
I'm a struggling artist with big dreams. I've worked my whole life. Um, and it's, and you know, I feel like God's timing is perfect. Things are happening for me in, in his right time. Sometimes I, I felt like giving up because I started when I was four years old in Sao Gigante. I was there six years every Saturday. Wow. I've worked as a radio host. I've worked as a TV host. I've done a little bit of everything. But God's timing is perfect, and I'm so determined that I refuse to give up till I make it. So, How would you describe the difference between making a record and making a TV show? Um, That's a tough one. Well... Music is based off a of feeling. It's, it's very based off your your wave, your feeling, how you feel in your spirit and in your ambiance. Whatever way life is going for you, you can put that out through your music, whatever feeling you may have. TV is more real. It's more about what's happening at the moment. It's more about impulse, which sometimes is not good, but it, it can help you learn to determine how far you're really willing to go. Because, for example... Outside of camera, I would never be the type of person to be physically confrontational. That's not the type of person I am. I'm slick with my mouth, yes. Mm -hmm. I would be like, beep this and beep that and beep all day long. But would I actually be physical and do something? I wouldn't. That's just not my style. However, people do also need to understand that we took about two years between negotiation and actually filming the show. And they're just getting to see it now. This already been happened. So it takes months of building this this um, tension between one person and the other, that by the end of the season, that's why a lot of people flip out and act a certain type of way. We record for hours, for days, and you only get to see one or two minutes of everything that happened. You don't know what this person did to me at 8 o'clock in the morning, that by 10 o'clock at night, I just want to, that's it. I'm, I just want to flip the table and punch you. Right. So that's really what happens. A lot of people don't get to see the behind the scenes, but... For the most part, everything that happened on my, on my, um, my, my part of the show was very real. Nothing was scripted, um, which a lot of people feel that these reality shows are scripted. I can only speak for my scenes, and I'll tell you that they weren't. Yeah. Okay, so since your song is dropping today, uh, let's let's play that song. We can uh, premiere it here on Alt Latino yes! too, as oh well, right? So the name of the song. Insecure by Amarada Negra. Check it out. Say I'm loca, crazy Said I've been tripping lately I wanna know, baby Does that make me insecure? Me more, Me more. Does that make me insecure? Me more, Me When you're falling asleep Hold your cell phone tighter than me You think that I can see What's happening You're woman like ABC Why you creep like TLC I'll give you two, one, two, three Till I abandon You say I'm loca, crazy Said I've been tripping lately I wanna know Again, welcome back to Alt Latino I'm Felix Contreras, and we're sitting out back behind the Franklin's Barbecue in East Austin uh, with Amara La Negra, yes. talking about life, talking about music. Let's talk about uh, something that has been 
out in out in social media recently, and 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 on YouTube and stuff like that. Your your people who question the I, the the possibility of being both black and Latina, or black and Latino. Okay, I mean, you just rolled your eyes. Like, people what what so is that? Up. What what's up with that? I just think that people need to learn how to be more open minded. Like. People need to be open to being educated, to learning about stuff. You have to just be open-minded. It's not just what you see in your town. It's not just what you see on social media. It's not just what you see on TV. There are, there are people, there are cultures that we still don't know. They are in the forest. They are in another part of the planet. Like I feel that people feel as if, is if it's not a mainstream, it doesn't exist. So if we don't see enough Afro Latinos, that's a lie. That they don't exist. No, it's not. It just so happens to be that you haven't had the opportunity to get to know them. Just like I say that it happens all the time in the Latino community. Um, the way that the United States is, is set up, they put if you're black, they're African American, and they all go in one pot. If you're Asian, they all go in one pot. If you're Caucasian, you're all white. You all go in one pot. If you're Latino. You're all in one pot. But in that pot of Latinos, there's people from Honduras, Guatemala, Chile, República Dominicana, Cuba, Paraguay, Argentina. There's just so many different cultures, music, food. We we are so different in so many aspects, even though they were all brothers and sisters, that I just feel there needs to be more of that exposure so that people feel more educated on it. I am I am so honored to know that People somewhat now see, see me as a role model or as a leader. Um, I have become the voice of the Afro-Latino community, which has been put in the shadows for so long. However, it comes with a big responsibility. And it comes and, and, and it's, it's comes with a big responsibility because at the end of the day, with the good comes the bad. And just like I have people that admire me, I get nigger notes all the time. You know, I get all types of insults only because I'm trying my best to um, put out there the fact that there should be some type, you know, there should be equality because we're all brothers and sisters and we're all humans at the end of the day. So the fact that people judge me based off the way that I look, based off the texture of my hair, based off all those stupidity instead of judging me based off my education, my personality, and who I am as a person, I think is awful. And the fact that nobody's really talking about it makes it worse because... We have gotten comfortable enough with the situation that now we just take it, accept it, and tolerate it. And it's not fair because at some point I want to have children as well. And I fear for my unborn children because I don't know what the future holds for them. So if we don't all come together as one to try to make that difference, then who's going to do it? It's a beautiful statement. But it's only but my truth. <laughs> that was intense. I got to eat. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I think we could put the microphone down now and let's just finish eating, right? Next time we'll meet at a vegetarian restaurant. Yeah, let's have some veggies after this. That was from the 2018 Alt Latino episode called Amara La Negra on Her Roots, Miami Reality, and Barbecue. Okay, as promised, here's the backstory on the location for the interview. I was supposed to interview Amara La Negra at a radio station but I completely spaced and went to lunch instead. And when I realized, I called her crew and said, I'm sorry, I completely forgot. They said, we're starving. We'll meet you there. So our good friend, Mincho Jacob, one of the guys behind Franklin's and a friend of the show, served us up a feast while we did the interview. In fact, I think I still have barbecue stains on my microphone from when I did that interview with Amara La Negra, another Afro-Latina musical and cultural innovator. And I want to remind you that you can take a 
deep, deep dive into our 10-year archive by going to npr.org slash altlatino. Also, in case you haven't heard, NPR Music's Tiny Desk Contest is now open. The winner will play their very own Tiny Desk concert and go on tour with NPR Music. Now, to enter, artists must upload a video to YouTube of themselves playing an original song at a desk. To learn more, read the official rules, and submit entries, go to npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. That's npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. Contest. Now, to be eligible to win, artists must be over 18, unsigned, and a resident of one of the 50 states, Washington, D.C., the U.S. Virgin Islands, and this year we opened it up to artists from Puerto Rico. Okay? The deadline to enter is March 14th at 11.59 Eastern Time. Again, the deadline is March 14th, 11.59 p.m., Eastern Time. Send in those videos and represent, man. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be safe and, you know, reach out to those you love. Don't wait. Do it now. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor Betterment. The drama of having an enemy-turned-lover is never chill, but your investing portfolio should be. Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Their automated tech makes it easy to get in the market and stay in the market. Save the drama for that moment when you realize your mortal enemy is actually your soulmate. Betterment. Be invested. And totally chill. Learn more at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.